It's April 3rd, 2023. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 252 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam Dustan Aziz, Durut Bashama. Hope you're doing well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. Hope the weekend was positive uh, to my fellow Arsenal followers. Nine games to go. Nine games to go. We just need to hold on. Validigit Cheshm Nazanin. No jinxing. Uh, and high fives to those of you in different parts of the world, different cities in the Iranian diaspora that marked April 1st uh, this weekend by demonstrating for freedom in Iran. Uh, kudos to you for keeping that flame alive wherever you are, that if you were out on the streets this weekend. Today, a special guest in our Rook studio, a man who is a busy working doctor, but someone who's also amassed a gigantic following in social media. Perhaps you follow him. He is known as Dr. K. Dr. K joining me for a feature interview. This is part of a new series we're starting on Mondays uh, of programming that features one big interview. So on Thursdays, it'll be our regular Rook show, as you've come to know it recently, uh, opening essay, Pega and others joining me for the roundup, um, and two or more interviewees. But on this day, a focus is on one person in the Rook seat. And on this day in particular, we will get to Dr. K in a moment for his first major career interview in English, I believe. If that's the case, it's quite an honor. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms. That's our website, rookmedia.com. We are on an ongoing mission to build an, a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox. Uh, if you'd like to see visuals with Rook, you can switch over to YouTube, and I can tell you this entire feature interview is going to be up on YouTube. So if you switch over to YouTube right now, you can watch the whole interview with Dr. K. Um, and if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, our bilingual channel is Telegram. So check that out. Now, we do we stay alive through the support of uh, our audience. Crowdsourcing is, our, is a big uh, way of supporting us. So... Um, if you go to our website, rookmedia.com, there is a support us button that links you to our Patreon page options, bronze, silver, gold. You you can become a, a Rook member on Patreon for a few dollars a month. It really helps us out. It's a big deal. And if you are a regular listener or a regular member of our audience, regular viewer, uh, it today's the day. Join the Rook membership uh, by going to our Patreon page. And we do a little extra something now for our Patreon members. So it was uh, our spiritual leader, my dog, the French bulldog, Oogie. It was his birthday over the weekend. And I promised last week with Pega that um, um, I'm going to shoot a video of <laughs> one of the things Oogie got for his birthday was some Kubide. <laughs> Um, which I assure you that I don't normally feed him, but he goes crazy for the Kubide. So uh, I did shoot the video of my lovable Frenchie, the French bulldog, Oogie, um, 
having some kubido or just catching the scent and going crazy and running around in circles uh we're going to send that out to you if uh, i'll put that on our patreon page so if you are a rook member you'll see oogie with the kubide if you aren't yet and you want to see that uh join us at uh rookmedia.com support us and then you can become a patreon member thank you so much for those of you who are rook members all right Let's get started. My feature guest today is here in the studio. He is an Iranian-American doctor who came to international fame and social media stardom as an essential medical voice during the COVID pandemic for Iranians around the world and especially those inside Iran. Dr. Kayvon Mirhadi, better known perhaps as Dr. K, is the chief of internal medicine at the Clifton Springs Hospital and Clinic in New York State. He was born in Iran. He was actually raised in Canada. He obtained his master's degree in virology, cell, and molecular biology from the University of Toronto. And his internal medicine residency was got at the New York Presbyterian BMH. Dr. K has been tirelessly working during the uprising in Iran in the last six months. Uh, This is offering critical medical advice on online to injured protesters, offering insights into what is happening around medical and health-related issues during this time, and he has been connecting protesters with trusted doctors inside Iran, uh, which has been a big task. Many of his posts and videos have gone viral, as you may know. Perhaps you've seen them. They are in the millions, and right now, Dr. Kayvon Mirhadi, Dr. K, joins me in the Rook studio. Hello, sir. Hi, Jian. How are you? It's nice to have you here in person. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've just passed Noruz. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seem, I always think of New Year as and Noruz as a time to look forward, but also as a time of reflection. Mm-hmm. If you were to reflect, uh, how would you characterize the past year for you? Um, I think we all know it's been a very tough year for Iranian community around the world. Um, a lot of emotions up and down. I would say every day we were feeling a different emotion, uh, especially over the last six to eight months. Um, a lot of people uh, had difficulty even, you know, walking into the new year. Um, and we did as well. Like we didn't know if we should be happy or sad and what's going to be, you know, what to expect in the next year. Uh, you always want to walk into a new year with optimism and and that's really what our, our goal is. You know, we, we started thinking, you know, we, we should think forward and be positive. And um, it definitely cannot be as bad as last year. <laughs> so hopefully. It's interesting. I asked you a very personal question and you answered in the plural. Yeah. We, who is we? I would say like me and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually um, how, you know, I think about things because I, I we kind of walk into the new year with, with my wife and kids and my parents. And yeah. It's been a, it's been a, a, a turbulent and up and down year uh, for Iranians, undoubtedly, mm-hmm. um, an epic one, you might say, and historical. Um, but as a doctor, you also just came out of two years of a pandemic, mm-hmm. which you were famously on the front lines of. But even if you hadn't been on the front lines, you would be. It would be affecting you more than it would the average person. So it's been. Um, I would imagine something of a marathon the last three years. For sure, yeah. It's uh, the two years of COVID pandemic was very tough, um, just on a personal level. Um, seeing coworkers get sick, you know, almost die, and patients, young people dying in front of me. Um, I never kind of 
got over that and then we just walked into you know uprising revolution in iran and somehow you know i i had to i was lucky enough to have a capability to help people out and and that was even worse i would say <laughs> because these these i could put my hands on a patient in a hospital but these people were thousands of miles away and I, all i could do is try to communicate with them on the internet well it's when you say all i could do but you opted to do that and you've done so much i mean you people know you at this point certainly they seem to know you in in iran and Mm -hmm. in the iranian diaspora you've become quite well known for all the help that you've provided that said we know you based on your social media presence and the medical advice you give there isn't actually a lot out there about your story of who you are. So I want to unpack some of that mm-hmm. uh, today with your blessing. And um, just before we do that, uh, just because it, it is top of mind all the time, I would imagine for you and for, um, and it's, it's such a resource to have you here. Uh, what are you hearing in terms of the latest when it comes to health and uh, welfare inside Iran today? Um. It's not good, you know. I don't think there's much being done in terms of planning and support for the people in Iran in, in terms of health screening, providing medication, providing um, resources. A lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the doctors that I've befriended over the last few years have uh, migrated outside the country to Australia, England, um, some to Canada. So we're looking at losing health very recently yeah after the revolution uh, yeah. many of them that I, um, I I became close kind of colleagues with them over coronavirus because we were exchanging information in terms of treatments in Iran and vaccination they, they're now living in other countries so these people are not there to help the Iranian people there's major shortage of things like insulin which people need to live um, if you can't find insulin and you know, you have type 1 diabetes and you're a young kid, you, you don't have much luck. Would you go so far as to say there's been a flight of doctors leaving in Iran? These people that you're, you're referencing that you know, some of the medical people who've left in the last six months, is it is it that bad? Yeah, uh, especially after uh, the revolution started, many, um, they migrated out of the country. These, these are like top doctors in you know, critical care anesthesiology that stayed in Iran during COVID, they would tell me about their hardship being a doctor there, but they're like, I'm going to stay in this country and help my people, you know, because uh, a lot a lot of people were getting ill and dying. And then after this revolution, they're all living in different countries. They all started new lives. Um, and they left why? To pursue, you know, um, like if their freedom and live their life the way they want to. Um, and not be told what to do. And but, but that would have been the case for years now in Iran. What changed in the last... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's a security issues and 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 more of a crackdown even on, on medical personnel, is that? Yeah, and that's the thing uh, with Harasad that their presence in a hospital setting or them calling clinics and telling them what to do, um, It, I mean, if that happened to me here... I would, I mean, reconsider being a physician um, just because it's very hard to treat a patient using your knowledge and somebody who has zero knowledge of medical care telling you what to do. And this happened recently with the poisoning of the young girls in Iran. Mm. Many of them were telling me, you know, these are the, the, um, these are the tests I'm ordering. And I said, why don't you order this and that? And they said, they won't let me. And Hera said is, these are individuals, um, 
I'm not sure how much you're familiar with. I'm it, not actually. I just learned about it. it, it are they like uh, the medical version of Basige? Like they go and so, w- watch over people in hospitals? Essentially, but like they're everywhere apparently, even like Park Aram, like where you go for, you know, and they, they um, enforce the strict, you know, um, the rules that the country kind of abides by. But in a hospital setting, you know, like a physician can should have the freedom to operate the way they, you know, based on their knowledge that they went to so many years of medical school and residency. But they were not able to order these tests for um, like serum poison um, toxicology levels, urine toxicology levels. They were told not to do it. They were told not to talk to anybody about these patients. Um, there was a lot of restrictions. And um, I think that kind of pushed them over the edge. And they're like, how can I be a doctor like treating a patient mm-hmm. when somebody with zero medical knowledge is telling me what to do? And and that really upset me, actually. But just to underscore the vicious the vicious cycle mm-hmm. uh, that you've uh, and the worsening cycle that you've just spoken to at a time when doctors are needed more than ever in Iran at a time when medical resources are less available and people are by the thousands uh, increasingly going into hospitals injured etc the the not only are the doctors harassed and unable to help them and don't have the resources, many of them are leaving. And you can't really blame them for leaving, but right. many of them are not even there. That's a pretty pretty difficult cycle. My biggest fear is, you know, the the next five to ten years, you know, to, to flourish like people that love medicine and like to learn and keep up to date, you have to have an environment where it's, in, they're encouraging them to go and gain more knowledge and communicate with doctors outside their country and like that's what we do they tell us like go on a conference to Europe and learn about these new um, treatment options or you know um, here's your freedom you can kind of work this patient up the way you like to but if you're so restricted first of all you're you ha- there's a huge knowledge gap which I noticed that when I first met these doctors during coronavirus um, but also it's never gonna you're not going to improve this in the less in the next five to ten years. So a knowledge gap between what the West and the Iran? Because medicine changes every day on a daily basis, and you can only learn through kind of freedom of being able to gain this knowledge. You right. know, from traveling, communicating, going to CME conferences, um, by not just being in a hospital, someone telling you what to do. And and these individuals have difficulty kind of going forward and a lot of them left the country there's going to be a major shortage of medical professionals and forget about medicine and vaccines and everything so this is just like no planning for the future especially healthcare. one of the things that becomes evident um or perhaps this is a supposition you set me straight if it's not true but just hearing you talk now but also watching you in your videos that go viral and you're pretty passionate about healthcare. You're passionate about medicine. Would that be true? Yeah, because I had the freedom to develop that, you know, and that's what I was telling you because these individuals in Iran, they don't, you know. Were you always passionate? When you grew up in, you were, grew up in Tehran until the age of 12. 12, yeah. Did, was the, the idea of being a doctor something that had captured your imagination as a kid? It was, yeah. I, I liked it. Like I wrote an essay how I'm going to be a cardiologist one day. I didn't become a cardiologist. But <laughs> when did you write that essay? I think I was, I was maybe ten or eleven. Like <laughs> my mom still has. <laughs> you were ten years old and you thought you might be a cardiologist. Why were you? I mean, other than being Iranian, you, you know, we're told engineer doctor. Mm-hmm. But I mean, why? Why do you think you were so um, 
seduced by the, the, the medical profession? I'm not sure. I think it's the Iranian upbringing. <laughs> you know how your parents tell you, like, doctor, engineer. But I liked it. I liked helping people. Um, but there was definitely a phase in my life that I was pursuing being a rock star. Well, I want to get to the rock star years because <laughs> I've seen you. Uh, you've seen your videos playing guitar. Yeah. Uh, but um, how was how was you? I mean, if I do the math correctly, it seems like you left Iran probably in the late '90s. Would that be right? I think I, we moved to Canada at '97. '97. Yeah. So you grew up basically. You were born around the time of the Iran-Iraq War, mm-hmm. uh, and you grew up through those. How how would you characterize your your life in Iran before you moved west? I did not imagine, like I did not look at Iran like how I look at Iran now. I thought it was a wonderful place, you know, at that age. I, I was out, I, I grew up in Ekbatan actually. And we just played and we had fun. And even the things um, in school, like the religious aspect of it, I was actually into it, you know, when I was young. Because you just kind of grow up in that environment, they're like, Oh, namaz, masan, let's all do it, you know, or fasting. I was into that. Like, I was doing it when I was mm. really young, not thinking why we're doing it and, you know, what's... And my parents gave me the freedom to do it, even though they're not, um, like, strict Muslim or follow any of that. But they they just gave me that option, and that's something that I loved about it. They're like, hey, if this is something you want to explore. So you weren't one of those kids that was dreaming of leaving Iran from when you were you know, a, a little boy? I think... Not dreaming, but when the idea came that we're gonna, um, you know, immigrate to Canada, I was I was looking forward to it. I remember in the airport that like my whole family was there crying. I was like trying to buy ice cream and get on the plane. <laughs> it was I'm out I was of a here. weird kid. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> but but okay. So what w- what was the precipitant for your family leaving Iran? What was the uh, reason at that moment? I mean, a lot of folks came sort of mm-hmm. after that or before that. It's an interesting time to leave Iran. The late nineties. I think, you know, it's hard for me to really kind of get, you know, tell you that, like the real reason why they went, because I think it was a combination of everything. But really, I would put it as people telling like my parents what to do. Like my dad was like a well-known person, like CEO of like a company. And he just, you know, he, he did not like working there because a lot of things that he wanted to do there was like restrictions and and overall they looked at the future of the country and they said we don't want our kids growing up here just like what everybody else is doing right now when you moved to canada how was the adjustment for you it was hard i think initially like i took english lessons in iran but when i came here i actually made the choice of making friends with non-iranians um, it just kind of naturally happened so i had friends that were greek and yugoslavian so my english just kind of it was I easily, you know, improved my English, and then they introduced me to rock music, and that's when the whole rock star dream began. <laughs> Please tell me about the rock star years, uh, Doctor K, the, <laughs> the the famous medical man. Um, you you you're pretty good on the guitar. I mean, I've seen you play. Uh, you you know, there's some little videos you put up for fun mm-hmm. of of you playing the guitar. Uh, how seriously did you ever get into music? I was really considering it, um, but I think my growth only really happened in like high school, and then beyond that, I just keep playing the same music I used to play back in high school. So I never, it was not. I guess it wasn't serious for me. But to you're kind of into alternative music, right? I mean, I, I yeah. see like you've got a Ramones poster behind you yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so you grew up listening to like punk and and alternative rock or something. Or I think it started with with like Green Day type of punk, and and then it kind of went into heavy metal. Um, 
and then it kind of came went to like radio rock <laughs> like wallflowers <laughs> it's things. not too late you know to know. leave the the, the the chief of internal right. medicine at, and, and become a you know start the rock band um do you still play yeah like in our basement we made like a little stage with you know like red curtains and everything it's i made it mostly for the kids but i'm the one kind of playing all the time <laughs> and my kids are like daddy stop stop oh, wow <laughs> you've you've really become the middle-aged dad playing <laughs> that's exactly playing, <laughs> playing rock for the kids i'm curious you know obviously you you go into medicine and you end up studying in toronto and then in new york uh you're very you're very Iranian. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, you know, to watch you, I would have. But I remember the, actually the first time I saw the COVID videos you were doing. Um, I didn't put together that you're the the Dr. K, the Kayvon from Toronto. I mm-hmm. thought you were this Iranian guy. You could have even been in Iran. You know, mm-hmm. you're very, and uh, that perhaps is not a surprise. I mean, you you come from an Iranian family, but you have lived more than two thirds of your life outside of Iran. Mm-hmm. And there are people who leave and become very, as we would say, Khadiji. Right. Uh, through those years, in your 20s and uh, in your early 30s, were you always as connected to Iran as you are now? No, not at all. I was, I, I kind of blended, blended into the um, Western world. Um, most of my fr- friends were not Iranian. I have like two close friends from Toronto that are Iranian, so I keep my, you know, um, kind of like my language with them. And then my, my wife, Nilufar, she's Iranian. And she kind of moved around the same age as me. So, but we talk to, together in Farsi, so that really helps. But really like what helped me improve at least my writing and reading was Dr. K. Like initially when I started the page, I didn't even know how to spell Mariz. I spelled it with a Z. So, so people were like, who's this guy? Like, he's not even a real doctor. He can't spell though. And then I had to keep explaining myself like, no, I've been out of the country for so long. I'm so sorry. Like my writing is not that good. So, so is it, is it, um, what, what is it like for you to be seen as, um, Captain Iranian now? Uh, if you think back to say your, your twenties and the distance you would have felt from being Iranian then. It's nice. I really like kind of getting reconnected with my roots, I would say. I, I was definitely how you put it, like I was kind of getting distance from Iran. Like there was a lot of news coming out and my friends would talk about it and I had no idea what they were talking about because I was just watching like Western news channels. But now I kind of go and read Farsi news just to keep up with what's going on. I'm really interested about, you know, the last six to eight months, the politics of Iran, the history of Iran. So I've been listening to podcasts about that. It's I don't know, just kind of something started within me that I'm like, I need to learn more about the country that I came from and try to help help the people that are living there, you know, be part of it. Did the, the popular narrative is that Dr. K came from the that sort of persona, if you will, or that part of your life, the, the viral social media guy, mm-hmm. um, spawned out of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is that when, basically when it started? What was the, what was the eureka moment where you said, well, you know what, I'm gonna start making videos. I think it was like three and a half years ago when I opened the page, but like maybe when I think of something, I just act on it. And sometimes Nilufar says, don't do that, think about it. <laughs> so it was like one night I'm like, there's no, um, you know, like Dr. Oz of Iran. Not that, you know, I promote Dr. Oz, right, right, right. <laughs> but you know, I just said like, if I make a page on Instagram in Farsi, I think it would be very popular. So I just opened the page 
and we didn't have followers like it's not like people just know you so we were trying little tricks on like getting file followers but the most we ever got well, to who's we in this case me again. and my Nilofar. Nilofar. she's so my, she's helping you she shoots she's the videos she's your publicist <laughs> well she's your and you know so she did so does how did it first start did she uh, i mean because you're kind of you know, you, you're very real mm -hmm. and you speak to camera well. I mean, was that always in you? You're kind of a performer. No, definitely not. I was be, be, before this is I would say I, would, I was shy. I mean, like public speaking I did in school settings when I when I knew what I was talking about. I guess like Dr. K, like I can't just go live and talk about random subject if unless it's like medicine, you know, a lot of times um, I'm comfortable when I know what I'm talking about. Mm. So. Yeah, we just like opened the page, and she was really the, doing the marketing. Asking. So she was for. She supported this she idea. She supported okay. it. I told her she's like, that's a good idea. Let's do it. But let's think about it. And you know. is she in medicine as well? She's a social worker, and she's doing uh, psychoanalysis okay. therapy. Oh, wow. Yeah, right, right now. But at the time, you know, we ha I think we had Lavella. Yeah, we had Lavella. She's like, you know, just think about it. See if this is what you want to do. But I don't think any of us thought it would get to this stage. Mm -hmm. We thought maybe it'll be like a page that has at most like twenty thousand followers, and we would be happy and just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. And then some people are very happy with twenty thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll be happy with it because I've had issues with this page as big as it got. Like we had a huh. lot of setbacks. Um, but we just she kind of like reached out to celebrities and you know people that are well known to like share our posts and stuff. And Shabnam Sharokhi shared one of my posts about you know, not smoking. Mm. And then the page went to like 20,000 overnight. And then when COVID hit, I was like, I need to go make this video about coronavirus because it's a new thing. And I'm sure in because there were two people that died in Rome. And then people were freaking out, messaging me the 20,000 followers. And I'm like, I'm going to make this video. And I called Nilufar. I'm like, this video is going to go viral before even posting. Oh, you had a sense of it. I just had a sense of it. Mm. And then I which, post. Which video was that? It's like the first video I made about COVID. I'm wearing like, um, Neil Fowler always explains it like you look good in that video. That's why it went viral. Uh, the, okay. the other videos have weird camera angles. <laughs> right, and stuff. right. But like I not to take anything away from the importance of what you were saying, <laughs> exactly. but you also she thought looked because, hot yeah, because okay. I looked hot or like the angle was right. That's why. Uh, it went. Okay. But then like it got shared by like all the celebrities in run, and then the page went to like two hundred thousand overnight, and then it was just like every video I was putting out there. Uh, it was vi going viral. When when something, uh, I mean, we feel this. I feel this uh, this in a, in a smaller way, probably with with Rook Media. But when something goes viral and it starts to become a pattern, mm -hmm. so then people now you have an audience and now they're maybe kind of depending on you. Like they're mm -hmm. going, I, I, this is the guy I tune into to help explain what's going on to make maybe keep me up to date give me some medical advice do you start to feel a responsibility then mm -hmm. that you have to post as soon as there's new information coming out or i mean does that become something that is a weight on your shoulders yeah every day i'm looking at the next thing that's scaring people like just before coming in i was reading about this new um fungal infection that's like multi-drug resistant and i'm sure i have to make a video about it people are getting sick but uh, i mean the responsibility goes beyond that you have to make the right move so what you say in every video you have to it has to be very calculated because um this the smallest mistake you make you will turn you know a million fans into like a lot of enemies so because you're, you're not just uh, an influencer or some somebody who's giving your opinion you're considered a serious medical resource is that right yeah like especially during the covid pandemic and vaccines so i can easily come and talk about a vaccine like moderna or pfizer but you have to be very calculated with what you're saying because i was labeled like someone who's trying to sell 
vaccines, has a deal with Pfizer, mm -hmm. is with the Western world. Then Baricat came, and that's essentially the Chinese vaccine, Sinopharm. So I, I promoted it because people were dying. They refused um, free Pfizer vaccines to go to Iran. Mm -hmm. And then I said, you know, it's okay, just get vaccinated because people, like thousands of people were dying. Then they're like, oh, he's with them. He's <laughs> so I was just getting pulled like, it was like a tug mm -hmm. of war, you know? So you have to be very careful. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I was on the COVID score. I was going to at some point ask you about the fact that, uh, I mean, separate from Iran and, and being the voice of helping Iranians inside Iran, COVID in general has become a bit of a muddle mm -hmm. uh, in terms of now we're hearing some of the things that we thought were the science are, weren't exactly the science and yeah. some of the expectations have changed. I mean, I, I, depending on who you read, the masks are very effective. They're not effective. Yeah. The vaccine was a good idea. It didn't have that much of a, an impact. There's these different opinions out there, scientific opinions. Mm -hmm. Has that been challenging for you? Yeah, all the time, especially if you see like well-known people promoting something that's, you know, seems completely illogical. Um, you don't want to attack them because you want to keep your friendship, especially in the social media sphere. You don't want to be the person that goes on outright attacks everybody. Um, and knowledge changes. Like you go to sleep, you wake up in the morning, there's like a new discovery. So um, that's why you have to really, every step you take, you have to understand it could just, under your feet, it's going to get empty. Is there anything that you were promoting or that the medical community, including you, mm -hmm. were promoting two or three years ago during COVID that now you think we shouldn't have gone so far in that direction. I think at the time it made sense because of all the unknowns, but you know, a lot of times, a lot of things with quarantine, like people, we told people to quarantine for more than three weeks sometimes, you know, and it, at the time it made sense because they, they, there was a um, collective decision to decrease the, the uh, transmission of the virus to eliminate it. But then we learned, okay, you cannot eliminate this virus. It's just going to live with us. So why are we quarantining people for three weeks? So, I mean, things like that. Um, and treatment, you know, hydroxychloroquine. I was giving that to my patients initially. Then data came out that this is ineffective, so we just stopped. This, and, and for the layman, the average person that's not in medicine, that's sometimes hard to believe because... What about the doctrinaire Western values around, uh, some of them around uh, vaccines? You know, we're only going to let these people on the plane and these people not, and everybody needs to get the vaccine. Do you think we went too far with that? I was in the mix of that, yeah. You know, when things were coming out with anti-vax vaccine kind of rhetoric and people taking sides, um, I was really pro-vaccine because every day I was going on uh, WHO and uh, World Health Organization and seeing how many people were dying around the world. And I definitely feel like vaccination got us out of the, vac the pandemic uh, faster than natural from natural immunity. But, you know, just kind of not letting people um, get on a plane and, and what happened in China where everybody was just stuck in their house. They couldn't really, yeah. make the, you know, some of that definitely was extreme. Or some in, in some cases, people in the West, uh, in Canada, we, we, you know, people f certainly feel like they were ostracized if they didn't, uh, if they weren't vaccinated. And, yeah, people uh, would lie about their vaccine status. And I don't know if that was, uh, that, that was helpful that we went through all that. When you said a moment ago, you said when the page grows is so big, uh, it comes with some issues uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's been, some problems have developed. What, what, what were you referencing? So I was uh, attacked by from, I don't know, like cyber attack many times to a point that my page almost got shut down, like a page that I worked really hard for. Um, there was, I guess there's a huge anti-vaxxer population in Iran and they have resources, you know, I don't know where they get this from that they can 
attack me on their posts and kind of they kept reporting me to a point that you know they, I was getting warnings from Instagram that your page is going to shut down soon um, a lot of that you know um, shadow ban I mean I, I've talked to people that work in Instagram they don't like to use that term but it was definitely like shadow banned you know people were not seeing my poster stories um, and labeled as as I said before, like you're with this people or with that people. And I'm like, I'm neutral. You what know? about more recently in the last year with the uprising? The thing about your posts, uh, you know, you're you're not that aggressively, you're political. I mean, you're not, you know, you, I don't see posts where you're saying down with the regime. I mean, you're just trying to help and give medical mm -hmm. advice. But I'm, I'm imagining that even in that mix, the, the, the government of Iran would not be that happy with you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get directly attacked during the last six to eight months for some reason. Like everything that I put was being shared. You know, I wasn't, um, there was something, I did get a verification from Instagram. I don't know if that helped, but there was something that my page, like I would put stuff even with like graphic scenery and my posts were still there. Uh, with videos people would send me from Iran or I would get from, you know, recordings. Um, but before that, during COVID, I was like a lot of cyber bullying and cyber attacks for sure. What has been, the most in in the recent months since you've been focusing a lot of your attention on the uprising and a lot of the um, health and medical issues that have emerged from that uh, first of all protesters being injured we've been through that whole period where uh, they, they're shooting people's eyes or mm. you know people are losing one eye uh, one eye in their eyesight uh, there's more recently the chemical attacks, the poison attacks. What has been the most alarming for you in terms of um, as a doctor observing what's been going on in Iran? I would say the age group that these people, you know, the protesters are usually young, you know, they're 19, even younger, and the injuries they're suffering from, you know, and the risks they were taking by going out and, um, and not being able to get treated after that. So that's just sad, you know, like somebody in their 20s losing one eye and having to live the rest of their life without having that kind of, you know, peripheral vision, it's just tough. Um, or losing a leg or, you know, a lot of them were, they, they had to go to the hospital to get treated for certain things, but they didn't. So they have all these like such mess and pellets in their body. So how do you travel with that? Like, how do you go to an airport with, yeah. you know? What do you know about, uh, you've posted, you posted some thoughts on it and some, some, Information. What what do you now know about these poisonings, these chemical attacks on on schoolgirls and university students from a, from a health from a medical perspective? Um, we're still like we don't have a definite answer because no one is giving it to us. All I know is, you know, it definitely happened because there was a lot of posts going around saying ninety percent of these were hysteria, which again, like hysteria is not uh, a medical term that should be used. A lot of people thought this is kind of like mass hysteria or psychogenic which is all you know uh bs you know these girls a lot of the my followers that were sending me messages they're like oh my girl just got really sick today at school and she saw like there was a um, cloud of gas coming into her classroom so these are things that really happened who did them and why they did them it just kind of um they, they will never tell us for some reason they just stopped doing it as far as i know um, but and what do you would you know what was what exactly was happening? I mean, what what is what is the agent that is going into people's bodies and how is it affecting them? They said it was a compound agent of two different things, but they never named names. And I even went to a few of the posts that from from Iran side, and I said, "Can you guys tell us what the agents were?" And nobody's like saying anything. Mm. So, 
I mean, they, there was the thing about organophosphates going around, which do cause the symptoms that these girls had. Um, but you don't have doctors in Iran that you're in contact with who would have treated some of this yeah. and gone, this is what I noticed? Well, that only, like, if I want to, because I work in an area where there's a lot of farmers. So if they come in with the symptoms, I will test a blood, I will send a blood test that does organophosphate screening. Um, but they can't do it because of harassment. So I asked them, I'm like, can you send this test? They're like, no, they told me not to do it. So, you know, like, and it, it just boggles the mind that every hospital, every clinic, like even clinics, like outpatient clinics, they were calling them and they say, oh, if somebody comes in, you better not be ordering this test. So obviously there's something they're using. They don't want the public to find out. It's madness. It's madness that, I mean, if, if, if the poisoning of kids is not outrageous enough, then the idea that if the kid goes to the hospital, we're not going to treat them properly or send out tests or um, to to keep the cover up going is is it, you can't make this stuff up like who right? like what is this think tank that they sit together and they're like next step let's poison young like yeah. i can't even imagine like who makes these decisions you know so on that note the 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 emotional fallout of seeing this happen and the the frustration uh, we talked about this a little bit last time you were on the show but uh, something that I, uh, people talk about when it comes to you is how does this guy do all of this? I mean, how do you, you seem to have a, um, you're, you're, well, now, now I know it's all Nilofar. She's doing it. <laughs> She's doing you're it just all. a puppet. You just said, you're, <laughs> she, tells me what she gives you the script. And, yeah. <laughs> but, but, re, but really, I mean, you keep up such a regular presence with your videos and social media. I mean, it's, it takes a lot out of someone to get do that, and and I don't know who's doing all the editing and all the getting it all right and putting it out there and everything. But you you're doing all of that. You're still a doctor. You're running a you know a, a, a clinic. How how do you balance all of this these days? I just I don't know. I found like the perfect formula, I guess. You know, with my days that everything is. I'm a very regular person. So, you know, I kind of have my day set out how I do it. I also go to the gym every day, like Monday to Friday. I have to go to the okay, gym. Okay, now, now you're going to have to give us an example because <laughs> so, this is, it starts to stretch credulity. And you also have kids. I have kids. And yeah. you, so how do you do all of this? It's just, you know, staying to your, like keeping up a regular schedule where you fit everything at the right time and you stick to it. What time do you get up in the morning? I actually get up later. Um, I get up around 7.30. I drop off my son, drive to work. Um, so I do like patient care for three hours and I go to the gym. Then after the gym, usually things die out in the hospital. Then I work on Dr. K, come home, then kids and family. Okay, so. well, so that, so you don't have to pull like 12 hour days being a doctor. No, so what I do, I'm a hospital doctor. So usually like after you see the patients, you have a little bit of freedom versus like a doctor who works in a clinic. It's like back to back visits where you, there's really no break. And you you seem like a very disciplined person in terms of, being a slave to your own schedule. Yeah, yeah. If if anything happens, like I can't go to the gym, then my day's ruined. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's great. I mean, yeah. this is the thing when uh, you know sometimes people. I, I may have been known to say this is uh, myself. Sometimes people, like, I just don't have the time to go to the gym. I I always think of these. Yeah. You know, Obama. You know, worked out for an hour every day while yeah. he was president. So everybody has the time. Can make the time. You're you're an example of that. The other thing though that I think you mentioned the last time you were on the show that. You, that you try to respond as much as you can to mm -hmm. people who are writing to you guys, right? Who are yeah. writing to Dr. K. Now that's a whole other kettle of fish because I would imagine, I mean, you get 
a gazillion messages. I, I can't even, sometimes I feel guilty when somebody says happy Nowruz, I don't have the time to like it and say thank you. So yeah. how do you manage that, trying to res- respond to the, the mail coming in? I mean, we don't answer all of them, but um, I wouldn't say we even respond to the majority of them, but like we try our best. Um, but throughout the day, like I would say I'm kind of guilty of having my phone on me um, all the time, whatever I'm doing. So, uh, but sometimes it gets out of control, like during the uprising, like I was getting a lot. So there are individuals that asked me for help where I saw their picture on BBC later, and then I went back and Googled their name, and then I saw the request they were sending me, like, they were just shot. They sent me a picture of their eye. They were asking me who to go to. And then I felt so guilty for not being able to reach out to that person. Then I would message them and say, I'm so sorry. Like, I missed your message. So things like that kind of bother me sometimes. You seem pretty balanced. Mm-hmm. Do you get stressed out? For sure, yeah. And what happens when you're stressed out? I would say sometimes, like, it affects my personal life, you know. And I always tell Nilufar like, if I could fit in more time in my day, I would start you know, talking to a therapist. I think what I went through from COVID to Iran and even right now, it's like too much, you know, it's definitely affecting personal life to to some degree. So really my plan in the next few months is to really find time to talk to a therapist. That's a good plan. That's a good. Uh, I think we all need to do that for sure. Yeah, I do. I, it's a, I, I see. I have a regular therapist, and I think uh, I don't see how any Iranian could not have. A, a lot of people don't. <laughs> well, I know, and not only that, but as you as we as you know, it's been taboo in some oh, yeah. Ir- Iranian circles, sadly, for a long time. So it's it's definitely. Uh, if there's one thing I've learned interviewing people for the last three years on this show, but in the last six months in particular is that I, I don't think there's anybody that's immune to the trauma that's come from mm-hmm. being Iranian over the last uh, uh, few decades, and especially watching the images and what's happened in the last few months. And so that would seem like a necessity. It yeah. should be, uh, we should crowdsource it and make sure that everybody has a, a therapist available to them. Um, do you, you obviously uh, have the support of Nilofar. Mm-hmm. What do your... What does your extended family and friends think of your um, celebrity or your the fact that you're as well known as you are? Do the do you, do, do do parental figures warn you about <laughs> the the regime is going to come after you? Yeah. Or I mean, uh, what what are their responses? There was definitely fear, like from my immediate family, you know, not to do it. Um, especially, you know, when the uprising began, they said kind of like stay out of it. Um, but you know they they're very supportive. Like during COVID, they're just like you're doing such a great job. Um, probably not as supportive as let's say an American or a Canadian parent would be of their kids. <laughs> you know, Iranian parents were always like pat on the back, like you know, not but like. But there's glor- actually some. <laughs> it's a passive aggressive pat on it's, the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not like glorifying <laughs> me, like oh you're doing, you know you're the best. Son. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they feel that. They must feel they that. Look at how you're, you're the, putting the rest of us to shame. You became a doctor <laughs> and a famous doctor now. I yeah. mean, come on. But they're but they're they're happy okay. with what I'm doing. You know, once in a while, my dad would. Uh, my dad is he's a great guy, but he's not like open like how I think I would be with my son. You know, talking about everything. So it's kind of like, how's everything going? You know, he, we're closer than a lot of other sons and dads, but you know, not to what I would expect. So. That, do, you, do you have family inside Iran still? 
Yeah, I have like an aunt that lives there. Uh-huh. But most people live in U.S. and Canada. Uh, and and so I was wondering if if you had family who follow you from inside Iran. They do, yeah. What do they say? Every time I go, خیلی بهت Proud of you. <laughs> so I'm like, thank well, you. That's good. Yeah. Uh, what what is your? Is, let me let me end where we started today, which is that we just had Noruz recently. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your greatest wish? Well, we know you're going to get a therapist. That's one of your oh, wishes. Sure. But what what is your greatest wish, both professionally and personally? Um, answer both of those. Um, for the year ahead personally I want to make more time with family um, and my kids you know I feel like I always fit them in the schedule but I want to make them the schedule I feel like you know um, my work and you know social media did take over what I could do I still do my best to you know be a supportive husband and father but I, I definitely can improve in that um, Professionally, I mean, I love the page and I hope it keeps going and, you know, I can keep providing, um, you know, up-to-date medical information for people. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what's the future for the page or for myself, but I kind of, you know, for now I'm happy with everything that's happened. I just, I hope for all of us kind of be tolerant and accepting of each other. That's really what I hope for in the upcoming year. You know, a doctor would say, Uh, put away the phone sometimes. Turn it off <laughs> at nighttime for sure. Do you, are you able to do that? Yeah, like at nighttime, I do. You, do you actually turn it off? I don't turn it off because they can call me from the hospital, oh, right. <laughs> so I keep it on. But yeah. yeah, I put it on like silent mode, so I don't get no. If you wake up at three in the morning, do you check your I'll probably go page? My, yeah, oh. I'll probably go on my Instagram. How do you go back to sleep then? It just happened last night. I, well, I I have an addiction to the office, the show. So I just, as soon as I start the office, my RAM kind of kicks in. The so English one or the American one? I like the English one, but the American one is the one that I'm addicted to. So you rewatch to. the office? I watched it over like seven, eight times. <laughs> all the seasons. <laughs> and the, 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 the comedy. And then you, and then you, that helps you fall back asleep? Yeah, just Michael Scott, like, you know, talking puts me to sleep. It's a weird thing. <laughs> it's really <laughs> weird. Are, like, you're so it's weird. a really particular thing to Very do. Very particular, yeah. So you go, uh, uh, oh, I'm fr- I need sleep, but let me go watch an office episode. Which I would not recommend to anybody because you're not supposed to have any light or sound. Right. Uh, but it works for me. It's kind of like a sleeping pill. Mm. Yeah. Finally, um, just because we ask each other these questions, so uh, why not ask you? You're in touch with thousands of people every day inside Iran. Do you think that um, change is going to come to Iran soon? I think it's already come. You know, I really think we're different than who we were last year already. Um, and people are a lot more, I would say like when I opened the page three and a half years ago, the conversations I was having with people, it felt like we're two di- different species, you know, like we're, we don't understand each other. But now I feel like their knowledge has grown so much in terms of just humanity and how everyone's different, how accept, how we should be accepting each other. And I, I think that's really going to help us, you know, improve in the upcoming year. I don't know when it's going to happen or when people are going to be free to be whoever they want, but we have definitely made some major strides. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for your, all that you do. And um, it's nice to have you in Toronto. Thank you so much for inviting me. Merci. Merci. Dr. K. Von Mirhadi, Dr. K, with me here live in the Rook studio. This is full time for Rook today. 
And for all things Rook related, as you may know, go to our website, R-O-Q-E-Media.com, RookMedia.com, where you can find back episodes, all of our Uprising series, our contemporary history of Iran, videos, funnies, all of that there. RookMedia.com. It's also where you can support us by pressing the Support Us button, funny enough, and becoming a Rook member at our Patreon page, rookmedia.com support us thanks to the amazing team who put this show together a couple times a week talented Anahita, super Perry sauce mark pega savvy roham Dodd, sound person louise thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content please subscribe if you've not done so already on any or all of our platforms find me on instagram at giangomeshi mizun bashin <laughs>